So it does look, but man, it tells a great story here. And so we got creation, the patriarchs. That's what we talked about, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Exodus, this is Moses going back in into Egypt saying to Pharaoh, you got to let God's people go. And then uh, they get out there in the wilderness. Joshua takes the people into the promised land. Uh, they begin to conquer that land, drive the enemies out. They enter into a period of the judges where the judges were uh, were making the, the, the judgments over the land. They enter into the kingdom. This was Saul was the first king, David was second king, Solomon. And then after Solomon, the, the, the kingdom divides into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. Then we get into the exile. Uh, uh, the people of God, they are conquered by, uh, by the Babylonians and the Assyrians, and, and uh, they go through a period of exile. Then they return, and when they return, they come back and they rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. They rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And then uh, we talked about Malachi just a few weeks ago. And after the prophet Malachi, there is 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence until we get into the New Testament here. And that is the Gospels. The Gospels are the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they tell the story of when Jesus was here on the earth. And then after that, we begin to see the church established there in the book of Acts. And, and the mission of the church being lived out. The, the gospel going into all the parts of the earth. And the, the, the book of Acts, how many of you know it's 28 chapters in your Bible. But the book of Acts is still being lived today. Amen. And the message of God has continued all the way up until this point. And so last week we talked about the key figure of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And today we're going to be talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Here's a few facts that you really need to know about John the Baptist. Number one is this. Baptist is not his last name. Need to know that, okay? That is a fact. <laughs> Baptist is not his last name. Here, here's the second thing you need to know about John the Baptist. That is that he was not a member of the Baptist church, okay? You need to know those two things. He, his last name is not Baptist, and he's not a member of the Southern Baptist denomination, okay? He was called John the Baptist for what he did. Uh, more appropriately, his name would have been John the Baptizer, okay? That he was baptizing people in the Jordan River. We'll get into that a little bit later, but uh, we're going to be talking about John the Baptist. We're going to go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, read just a few portions of Scripture. And uh, the, the Scriptures that I'm going to read um, is actually uh, what God speaks to Zechariah, to John the Baptist's father. Um, he was a priest, and he worked in the temple. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 11, it says, While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the he will be he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. I mean, tonight, I, just want, I want to give you five characteristics in John's life, five characteristics that we see in his life and that we should all be going after in our own lives as well. The first characteristic that we see is favor, the characteristic of favor. And it's there in verse 13 of the scripture that we just read. It says, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You are to name him John. The name John, it actually means in Hebrew that God is gracious or God shows grace. A biblical definition for grace is the 
unmerited favor of God towards mankind. That is the grace of God. It is the unmerited favor of God towards mankind. In other words, you could say it's the undeserved favor of God towards the unworthy. Amen. We are unworthy of the grace of God. We are unworthy of the favor of God, but God gives what is undeserved to the unworthy. It is the grace of God. And we've defined grace around here. We did a series, I believe, last year on grace, and we've used this definition a few different times, but this is the way that we've defined grace. We say that it is the unmeasurable love unmerited favor, and unlimited power of God that enables me to live life God's way. Grace is so multifaceted, and, and, and you can't just lock grace down into one thing. And so it is the unmeasurable love of God. It, it is the unmerited favor of God. It is the unlimited power of God. And all of these things are things that enable me to live life the way that God created me to live. But here's the thing many times the mistake we make with favor is that we associate favor with fortunate. We associate favor with fortunate and we don't see favor because we are looking for the silver spoon. We don't see favor because we're looking for the silver spoon. And when we don't see wealth and we don't see affluence and we don't see the well-to-do, we don't feel the favor. But let me, just, let me just read a little bit about John the Baptist here. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, it says, John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locust and wild honey. How many of you know that doesn't look very fortunate? But God has said, you have my favor, okay? It says, people from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Okay, John the Baptist didn't look very fortunate. If you came out looking for a man who was dressed to the nines with the silver spoon in his mouth, you would have been very, very disappointed. However, there was a favor on John's life that people from all over Judea, people from all over the Jordan Valley, they all came out to see see and to hear what he had to say. You see, if you were looking for favor in a lifestyle, John didn't have it. But if you were looking for favor in a life change, oh, he had that. We see this even with the Apostle Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul was, was persecuted. The Apostle Paul was thrown into prison. The Apostle Paul was beaten. The Apostle Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul was shipwrecked. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this, for, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But because, because before he was the apostle Paul, he was Saul. He was the persecutor of the church before his dramatic uh, transformation on the road to Damascus. And he has this encounter with Jesus. It totally transforms his life. He says, I'm, I'm not even worthy to be counted among the apostles for the things that I used to do. But listen to what he says in verse 10. But whatever I am now, because he was an apostle, whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. For I have worked harder than any other apostle, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace." You see, favor isn't a lifestyle, but favor is always found in a changed life. That is the ultimate favor of God. When you have encountered the grace of God, and the grace of God has changed you, and the grace of God has empowered you to be an agent of change in other people's lives as well. And so when you look at Paul, and you look at John the Baptist, there was not a lifestyle that was glamorous, but let me tell you, they had a power in them, a changed life life personally and changing lives was what they did. It was favor. It was the favor of God upon their life. You see, don't let the enemy fool you when it comes to your favor because we can get caught up in thinking that the favor of God looks like a new car. 
The favor of God looks like a new house. The favor of God looks like a brand new suit. The favor of God looks, no, no, you can can go after that if you want to, but let me tell you what the real favor of God is. The real favor of God is indescribable joy. The real favor of God is unexplainable peace. The real favor of God is when you can be like John the Baptist and you can be dressed in whatever you want to dress in and people come from everywhere to hear what you got to say. That's the real favor of God. The real favor of God is when you can be facing opposition and you're not sweating bullets because you know that God is going to see you all the way through. The real favor of God comes whenever you are facing your giant but you are not afraid and you're running out into the battlefield. Why? Because the favor of God is on my life. And when I have the favor of God, I'm not going to be afraid of anything. Favor might not look like you thought, but don't overlook it. It might not look like what you thought it was going to look like in your life, but please don't overlook the favor that you have because here's what I can tell you. God has been gracious to you. God has shown you grace. God has touched you with his favor. And and you might feel like you're wearing coarse camel hair right now. And you might feel like you're eating locusts and wild honey. But don't overlook the favor because it's not in the clothes that you're wearing or the car that you're driving. Favor is all about what is on the inside of you. And there is no doubt that the grace of God has touched your life. There is no doubt God has placed his favor upon you. So don't overlook the favor that you have thinking that it's going to look like something else. It's the favor of God. It was on John the Baptist's life. And that's the favor that we all want. That's the favor that we all want, the favor of God. So we see that first characteristic there, favor. Here's the second characteristic of John the Baptist. He was faithful. He was faithful. This is what The scripture says right there in verse 14, it says, uh, the angel said to Zechariah, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He will be great in the eyes of the Lord. What does it look like to be great in the eyes of the Lord? It looks like us being faithful. What does faithfulness look like? Being faithful looks like being obedient. When we are faithful to the command of God, when we're faithful to his word, when we are faithful, we are obedient. And whenever we are obedient, we are great in the eyes of God. The Bible says this in John 8, 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful, okay, if you remain faithful to my teaching. That's how you know that you really belong to me. That's how you know that we're really connected. It's how you know if you are really following me. If you are really my follower, if you are really my disciple, then the disciplines of my life are going to be the disciplines of your life, and you're not just going to listen to what I say. You're actually going to put it into practice, and you're actually going to do it. It's how you know. Well, then we'd say, okay, well, what were the commands of Jesus. If, 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 if being faithful is obeying the command, then what were some of the commands that Jesus gave us? Well, Jesus gave us what he called the, the two greatest commands in Mark chapter 12, verse 29. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, he said, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So Jesus said, you you will know that you belong to me. You're my disciple when you are faithful to my commands. He said, these are the two greatest commands, that you would love God with everything that is within you and that you would love your neighbor as yourself. Faithfulness looks like obeying God's command to love. And let me just say this. It is a command. It is a command to love. It's not based on your feelings or your opinions. God gave you a command to love. You know, you think, well, well, God, didn't, shouldn't, shouldn't you just, just laid it out there for us? And once we get so full of you and we're so full that we just love one another and couldn't it have been more of like a suggestion? And the more we lean into you, the more we just love other people. God said, no, I, I put it in a command. 
Because there was going to be a moment when somebody stepped on your toe. And you know what? You're going to have to make a choice because it's a command of God. And so it doesn't matter how I feel about you. I love you because God told me to love you. It, you, might, you can offend me. You can hurt my feelings. You can whatever. It doesn't matter to me because I have a command from God. And the command from God that I have is that I love you. Despite your political preferences, despite where you go to church, despite what you eat for dinner. It does None of that matters. I have a command from God to love you. It is a command. And how do I know if I'm living faithfully? I obey the commands of God. Not only did, does he have a command for us to, to love, but God also gave us a command, the command of, of humility. That's how we know we're being faithful. Matthew 18, 4 says this, so anyone who b becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So how, what, what did he say about John the Baptist? He said he will be great in the Lord's eyes. Here Jesus is saying this is what it looks like to be the greatest in the kingdom. So if you just take those two things and you put them together, we see, oh, wow, the humility of a child. Being humble like a child makes us great in the Lord's eyes. And this is what John the Baptist said in John 3.30. He says, he must, speaking of Jesus, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. What we see here is what Jesus said it takes to be great. The humility to understand life is not about me. To understand that life is about Jesus. He's got to become greater and greater. He's got to be lifted higher and higher. I've got to become less and less. And I've got to go lower and lower because I've got to be able to lift him higher and higher. That's what faithfulness looks like. You see, if you want to be great in the eyes of the Lord, then you have to serve in the eyes of people. There is no other way to be great in the eyes of God. You, you, Jesus said, even, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. You realize he served in front of people. He served. People saw him serving. He took on the role of a servant. He got down physically. He didn't just give a metaphor of washing the disciples' feet. He literally got down and washed the disciples' feet. Why? Because he was living it out in front of them, and that's what faithfulness looks like. If we want to be great in the eyes of God, we must be willing to serve in the eyes of other people. People say, oh, well, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to do that. You don't have to, no, 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 I, that's what I do. I serve. Oh, no, you don't have to clean that up. No, that's what I do. I, I, I serve. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO of the company. It doesn't matter if you're the, the, the shift manager. It doesn't, doesn't matter what, where you are. No, we, we are called to serve. That is our identity. It doesn't have to be our job description. That is who we are. We are called to serve. We serve one another. We serve the Lord. We serve the mission of God. And John was great in the eyes of the Lord. Because it was never about him, it was always about the kingdom of God. Here's the third characteristic that we see in John's life, and that was he was focused. John was focused. In verse 15, it says this, He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. Now, obviously, there's a measure of faithfulness and obedience, uh, but for, for the purpose tonight, let me just use this in terms of temptation and distraction, because John had a singular focus on doing the will of God. He was not going to be distracted by temptation. John was not going to become enamored with the crowds who were coming from everywhere to hear what he had to say. He was not going to get discouraged when the religious rulers came and criticized him and mocked him and began to say evil words against him. He didn't let any of that get in his way because he was focused on his mission. Matthew 3, verse 1 says this, In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This was John's message. Repent of your sins. Turn to God. Be baptized in water. That, that was his message. And the kingdom of heaven 
is near. That was, that was all we ever hear John saying. John's not coming up with a new four-point message for next week. He's not coming up with something new to say. He's not doing a series on this and a series on that. He's not putting out, no, this was his message. Hey, repent of your sins. Turn to God. Be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is near. And every time they came, the message was exactly the same. He was focused on his calling. He was focused on his purpose. And can, but can we just be honest about one thing? I mean, John was a little unorthodox. I mean, let's, let's just call it what it is. This man was a little eccentric, okay? I mean, you just have to think about you going out to, let's just think for, what if I rode out here on Sunday morning dressed in coarse camel hair with a leather belt? With the locust leg hanging in my beard and a little wild honey dripped down my, down my camel vest. I mean, come on, you would think, what? What, what did we come? Who is this guy? And what is he going to be able to say to us? But can I tell you, John the Baptist, he wasn't trying to dress like the Pharisees dressed. John the Baptist wasn't trying to imitate the prophets in the Old Testament. He was just trying to focus on his calling. And that prophet said he would be like a voice shouting in the wilderness. And he said, that's all I'm focused on. I'm just focused on preparing the way for the Messiah. I'm just a voice shouting in the wilderness. And if I'm just a voice shouting in the wilderness, what does it matter if I'm wearing a camel vest? What does it matter if all I got is a leather belt? What does it matter if I'm eating? Because all I am is a voice shouting in the wilderness and I'm preparing the way for the Son of God. I'm preparing the way for the Messiah and I know what God has called me to do and I'm just focused on that. Not distracted by anything else. Matthew chapter 3. Verse 11, John says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming who is greater than I. So much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John was focused on his assignment, but not at the expense of missing the one who was coming after him. Man, John was focused on his task. He was focused on his mission. He said, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm all about. I am baptizing people in water for the forgiveness of their sins. That's what I am doing, and I'm focused on it, and I'm doing it every day, and I'm diligent, and, I, and I'm getting my task done. But let me tell you, there's one that's coming. I'm not so lost in my task that I don't realize there's one that's coming. I'm not so focused on this that I, that I don't remember that there is one coming that is greater than me. And we see this happening here in John chapter 1, what, what he was just talking about. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said a man coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Man, don't miss that. John said, I have been doing my job so that he could come. I have been baptizing in water so that I could introduce him. It was never about my sermons. It was never about our baptism ceremonies. It was never about our experiences in the Jordan River. It was always about opening the door for the one that is coming. It was me opening the door for the Lamb of God who was coming to take away the sin of the world. It's never been about me. It's always been about him. But I was faithfully doing my job so that this moment could happen. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and rest, resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one whom you see, the Spirit descend and rest, is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. How did he know he was the chosen one? Because he was focused on his mission. 
How did he see this moment come to pass? Because he was focused on his mission. How did he have this encounter in the Jordan River with Jesus and see the Spirit descend and be able to stand up and say, I testify that he is the one that was promised Israel. How did he do that? Because he was doing his job. See, when you are focused on your assignment, God will interrupt you. When you are focused on your task, when you are diligently doing your task, that's whenever God shows up. When you are doing your assignment, that's when Jesus comes in and breaks in. In this moment, John was focused. And because he was focused on his assignment, it's what did not allow him to miss the one that was coming. We, we have to remain focused. Here's the fourth characteristic of John. He was filled. He was filled. And verse 15, it also says, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. If you were here last week, you know, when we talked about Mary, the mother of Jesus, we, we shared the story right here out of Luke chapter 1. We actually read the scripture last week, and it's, it's after um, uh, the angel visits Mary, and Mary is, is pregnant with Jesus, and then Mary goes and goes to see Elizabeth, who is her cousin. And so you need to know Jesus and John the Baptist, they, they were related. They, they, they were cousins. And so Jesus is, I mean, Mary is on her way to see Elizabeth, who the angel had told her is six months pregnant. Now, she was old and she was barren and wasn't supposed to have kids. So everything that you just read that we read a moment ago about the angel showing to Zachariah, it, this was a miracle. This was a God thing. And so uh, uh, Mary is going to see Elizabeth, and this is what we, this is what we re read whenever Mary came into the room where Elizabeth was, Luke chapter 1, verse 41. It says, at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child, that's John the Baptist, leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. But we know from Scripture, it wasn't just Elizabeth that was filled with the Holy Spirit. It was John the Baptist that got filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist leapt inside of her. And when John the Baptist leapt inside of her, something happened to Elizabeth. And she was filled up with what had hit John the Baptist. And the baby was filled with the Holy Spirit even before it was born to fulfill the prophecy that was given to Zechariah. When Jesus entered the room. It was when Jesus entered the room. When Jesus entered the room, John was filled with the Spirit of God. How many of you understand what fills you up? What fills you up is when Jesus enters your room, when Jesus enters into your space, when you make space for Jesus in your day, and Jesus comes into your life, Jesus comes into your car, Jesus comes into your room, Jesus comes into your office. When you make that space and you make time to encounter Jesus, that's when Jesus comes and fills you up with his spirit. Something happened in this moment. Something happened when Mary walked in carrying Jesus in her stomach. Mary walks in, something happens in this moment, and the baby jumps. Whenever you get into the presence of God, something can also happen to you. Do you know that joy can jump up in your heart? Do you know that hope can rise up in your heart? That faith can rise up when you, then you get in the presence of God and something can happen. You might not be able to describe it, but you can feel it on the inside. You might not be able to tell me exactly what happened, but you know that something happened. Why? Because there was something in you that jumped. There was something in you that leaped. There was something on you that fell off of you. Something happened in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of God, and you might not can tell me all about it, but you can definitely tell me something happened. And when you have a moment like this, it's not just about the moment. You, you, can, actually, you can actually live off a moment like this. L let me just... I want to. I, I want to just. I, I want to say this. I want to say it delicately because I. I, I just. I want to be careful with this. But there is a difference between your experience and his empowerment. There is a difference between your experience and his empowerment. When you have a divine moment with God, it is not about your experience. It's about his empowerment. 
it's not about you getting goosebumps. It's not about you shaking. It's not, it's not about your experience in the moment. When you have a divine encounter with God, it is all about his empowerment. John the Baptist lived off of this moment. John the Baptist lived off of this feeling. Something happened in John the Baptist in the womb, and when he was born, he was filled up with the Spirit of God, and he was able to live off of this moment. He was able to preach off of this moment. He was able to pray off of this moment. He was able to baptize off of this. Something happened that was so significant that he was able to live off this moment. It was not just a cute experience. It was divine empowerment. So big difference between those two. You know, I, I remember when I was, I was a teenager. I was 13 or 14 years old. And I had, um, I had, man, I had just really given my heart to, to the Lord in a, a chapel service at Evangel Christian Academy. I was probably 13 years old. I was in the eighth grade. And I remember one, one Sunday, I was in my room, and I was reading, reading my Bible. Um, and I just, I had stopped reading my Bible, and I just began to pray. And uh, my parents had told me at that time, you know, you had, we had Sunday morning church and we had Sunday night church and Wednesday night church and Monday night prayer meeting and Tuesday night. I mean, you know, you had something every night. And Sunday night, we, we, my parents said, we're not going to church. And so I was, I was prepared not, not to go to church is what I thought was going to happen. And, uh, and so I was just reading my Bible and I, and I was praying. And man, I, I heard the Lord speak so clearly to me, and it was it was one. Of, I mean, the first time, and it, it, it was one of those things that uh, that I will forever remember in my life. I, I felt the Lord say this to me tonight: I'm going to anoint you for everything that you have been called to do in your life. And I was sitting there on my bed. Now these are like big words. Like now, I mean, I'm you know 39 years old. Like I know I know a lot of those words. I know what that means. At 13 years old, I didn't even really understand what that, I will anoint you for everything you're going to do in your life. I didn't even realize what that meant. And on top of all that, my parents had told me that we're not going to church. So I'm thinking, okay, God, like, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen here, but I'm, I'm up for it. You know, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I believe that I've heard. Well, I never will forget my, my parents come in and they say, hey, we're going to go to church tonight. That's all I thought. Oh, wow. Okay. That, that's, that's interesting. So we go to church. And so I'm like riding to church thinking, man, you know, it's like when you're just like hearing God, you're like, is this really real? Like, and I really, is this really happening? I never will forget Pastor Rodney Durant got up that Sunday night and he said, I want every person in the building 25 years and under to come to the front of this church because tonight I'm going to anoint you with oil and I'm going to pray over every single person that's over 25. I remember I was I, I was like Zachariah seeing the angel. I was terrified. I mean, I'm like people were like running down to the front, and I'm like, oh God. I mean, like I, it was it happened, you know, like it was it's really real. And I never will forget as I came down front, and man, as he put that oil on my head, I can tell you something happened in that moment. There was a filling of the Holy Spirit in that moment. I have lived off of that moment. I have preached off of that moment. I have prayed off of that moment. I have seen miracles off of that moment. I, I, I have seen so many amazing things happen because that moment, it was not about an experience at the front of an altar. It was about his divine empowerment in my life. I was filled with the Holy Spirit and I began to move and preach and walk and talk in the power of that spirit. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. This is what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, this is Jesus talking about John the Baptist. And he said, from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. He said, from the time that he started preaching. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and from the time he started preaching, the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing on the earth, 
but there are some people that are attacking it. But can I tell you, when you are filled, you don't stop because of opposition. When you are filled, you don't stop because of your fear. When you are filled, you don't stop because of your disappointment. When you are filled, you don't stop because of your discouragement. When you are filled, you don't stop because of adversity. You don't stop because you make a mistake. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't stop. You just lean into the Spirit on the inside of you, and you trust Him to take you to the next place and to get you to your next breakthrough. You just lean into the Holy Spirit, and you continue to follow His lead, and that's what happens when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit. The last characteristic that we see in John the Baptist, and that is he was fearless. He was fearless. In verse 16 and 17 of the scriptures we read, it says, And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. What a job description. What what an assignment. To turn the hearts of Israel back. Don't forget, 400 years of silence is what we're talking about right now. 400 years with no voice, no prophet. Here comes John the Baptist and his purpose is to connect the people of God back to their God. Well, we know how that turned out in the Old Testament so many times, not well. He's going to be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. Was it not Elijah that went up on top of Mount Carmel with 400 prophets of Baal and called fire down from heaven? Was it, was it not Elijah that outran the chariot? I mean, what, was it not Elijah that did unbelievable miracles? He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. There's only one to do that. He got chosen to do that. Man, I mean, you're talking about he will turn the, the hearts of the fathers to their children. I mean, he's going to bring restoration in relationship. Man, what, what a job description. And, then, and that, that may not even be the, the most difficult. He said, then he's going to cause those who are rebellious, <laughs> those who are defiant, those who are proud. He's going to take those who are rebellious, and he's going to let them accept the wisdom of the godly. You understand, if you're going to fulfill a job description like that, you better be fearless. Because John was filled with the Holy Spirit. It produced a fearlessness on the inside of him. Let, let's just take a quick look at what that looked like in Matthew chapter 3. What does it look like to be fearless? <laughs> oh, John the Baptist. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he's already identified they're spectators. They're not participators, right? They're not coming to celebrate. They're not coming to participate. They're not coming to cheer. They're not coming to pray. They're not coming to applaud. It says when he saw that they just came to watch the show, he denounced them. You brood of vipers. You warn, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and you've turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Come on, John the Baptist is picking a fight by the Jordan River. <laughs> Nobody was willing to speak to the religious rulers of the day like this. Nobody was willing... Because then they would have been 
kept out of the synagogue. They would have been kept out of the temple. They would not have been, they, they would have been put on the blacklist. And how can you make a sacrifice to God if you can't even get into the temple of God? If you can't even go into the presence of God, how is God going to hear you? So nobody would stand up and say anything so that they didn't get put on, on the do not disturb list, cannot access list. They, they didn't want to be out there. But here John the Baptist says, I've already figured out a key to the kingdom and it's not in the temple. It's in here. And he says, let me tell you what, I'm going to tell you like it really is. I mean, I just wish I would have been there watching. But these people who had never, never heard anybody speak to them this way. And he doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, guys, I think you might be missing it in a few areas. Hey, guys, why don't we have a conversation over coffee? I think I might be able to point out a few errors of your ways. No, he says, you are a bunch of snakes. He says, why don't you prove that you, that you really have turned from your sins? Oh, you're descendants of Abraham. I mean, then he just starts mocking them, like starts talking trash, my kind of guy. He starts talking trash to these people. And then he goes all the way down to the, I mean, then he drops the ax, like literally, right? He drops the ax. He says, the ax is ready to fall. And it's going to sever the roots. You're going to be thrown into the fire. He was fearless. He was fearless in the face of opposition. He was fearless in the face of what other people were afraid of. He was fearless in the face of, of his haters, of his adversity, he was fearless. But let me tell you where else he was fearless as, as we close. He was also fearless in the midst of his own doubts. That's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 3. John the Baptist, who was in prison, we know that he was in prison for approximately about a year at this time, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, wait, wait a minute, wasn't this the same guy that we just read about? That said, I testify that he is the son of God because God told me before I ever started baptizing, the one that came down and got in the water and that the spirit descended on, that would be the one who was the lamb of God. That would be the one who would take away the sins of the world. That would be the promised one. Wasn't this, wasn't this the same guy? Wasn't he the same one that said, I got to decrease so that he can increase? I got to go down so that he can go up? Isn't he the one that said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals? I, I'm not even worthy to be his slave? Isn't this the one that he was talking about? Now he's in prison and he starts sending a message to Jesus. says, hey, are you really the one? Maybe it was because he was hanging out with notorious sinners and tax collectors and maybe John wasn't expecting that. Maybe it was because Jesus and his boys were violating the Sabbath on some different occasions and there was some communication going on around tables and he was hearing that Jesus isn't even keeping the Sabbath. Maybe, maybe, maybe there was some conversation. Heard Pastor Robert Morris at Gateway Church. He, he said this. He said that Jesus was in the town that John the Baptist was in prison in, and Jesus did not come visit him. And he said that that's why he believes John really asked because John was a little offended. I'm in prison, and you didn't even come out of your way to see me. Jesus' response is this. After John the Baptist says, are you the Messiah, or should we keep looking for someone else? How many of you understand Jesus is not insecure? Jesus is not questioning about who he is. Jesus told them, go back to John 
Tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Whether you didn't expect me to do something or whether you expected me to do something and I didn't do it, John, just let me tell you this. This is what's happening. The deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing, the good news is being preached to the poor, and blessed are those who do not get offended with me. Blessed are those who do not turn away because I did something that you didn't expect or I didn't do something that you thought I would do. But I love John. I love him fearless to ask the tough questions. You know, I would say this. If you haven't had real doubts, then you probably don't have real faith. If you hadn't wrestled with some doubts in your life, your faith is probably really, really shallow. See, doubts, faith, faith isn't not having any doubts. It's just trusting that God has an answer in the midst of your doubts. And I would say, if you haven't wrestled with some real doubts, then you probably don't have a real deep faith. Because the people that I know that have a deep faith, they have wrestled with God and they've been fearless in their questions to God. They've been fearless in saying, are you the one? I mean, how offended could Jesus have been right here? Are you the one or should we keep looking for another? Jesus say, what else do I have to do? The dead are coming to life. He knows. John the Baptist knows all this. This is not new information that Jesus has given John the Baptist. This is not insider information. This is not new revelation. John the Baptist knew the deaf were hearing. He knew the blind were seeing. He knew the dead were coming back to earth. He knew that Jesus was preaching the good news to the poor. He knew all of this, and Jesus wasn't offended. And he said, hey, just go tell John. Just go remind him. Just go remind him about who I am and tell him, ah, don't be offended because I didn't come see you. Don't be offended because you're hearing some things that's surprising you right now. Oh, don't be offended because I, I went to see somebody else, but I didn't come see you. Don't be offended because I got somebody else out of prison, but I didn't get you out of prison. Don't, don't be offended because somebody else got a blessing and you didn't get your blessing. Don't be, don't be offended because it's not working the way that you thought it was going to work. Don't be offended because of me because, John, if you don't get offended, you'll be blessed. He turns right around after this exchange and he begins to talk about John the Baptist. He says, there's never been a man like him on all the face of the earth. What? Well, he just said, are you really the one? Are you really the Messiah? Are you playing a joke right now? Are you really the one or have you been pretending? Should we keep looking for another son of God? Are you really the son of God? And she said, there hasn't been no, nobody like this man. Fearless to ask the tough questions when they're standing in the midst of their own doubts. See, that's a characteristic that we all need. Because you know what? At some point in life, you're going to have some doubts. At some point in life, you're going to have some questions. At some time in life, you're going to get offended with your neighbor and probably going to be offended at God. At some point in your life, it's probably not going to go the way that you thought it was going to go. At some point in your life, you're probably going to think God's going to do one thing and something else is going to happen. Let's be like John. Let's be fearless in the midst of our own doubts. And let's be fearless to ask God the tough questions. God's not afraid of tough questions. The only thing that God can't answer is no questions. Ask the tough questions and he has an answer. Just 
Hey, just remind him. Remind him this is what you see and this is what you hear. And remind him, don't be offended on account of me. Hey, don't ignore your doubts. Express your doubts to God because he is the God who gives answers. Don't ignore your doubts. Express your doubts to God and he will meet you right there in the midst of your doubts. Come on, will you stand with me tonight? Five characteristics of John. John the baptizer. Favor of God. Grace of God upon his life. Come on, don't overlook the favor tonight. Don't overlook the favor. Don't be looking for the silver spoon. You look, you look for that unmeasurable love. You look for that unmerited favor. You look for that unlimited power that's living on the inside of you. That's the grace of God, the favor of God is upon your life. Let's be faithful. Let's be faithful to be a disciple. Let's be faithful to obey the commands of God the command to love him, the command to love others, the command to live in humility. Let's be faithful so that we can be great in the eyes of God by serving one another. Let's be focused on our assignment. Let's be focused on our mission. Let's be focused on being the very best that we can be. Let's, let's be focused on being the best Jesus man, the best Jesus woman that we can possibly be. Let's be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's get into the presence of Jesus, not for an experience, but for empowerment. That we would be empowered because we got into his presence and something happened to us. Let's be fearless. Let's be fearless in the face of opposition. Let's be fearless in the face of adversity. Let's be fearless in the midst of our own doubts and questions. Let's be fearless to encounter God, to ask the tough questions, to express our questions to God. Well, tonight, if you say, Philip, there's, there's one characteristic, maybe two, three. God's just drilling down in me and saying, yes, yes, yes. I need that characteristic of John in my life. I need to see that favor. I need to be faithful. I've got to stay focused. I need to be filled up. Get in the presence of Jesus. I've I got to be filled up, and I've got to be fearless. I've got to be filled. You say, God is speaking to me. And one of these areas, the Holy Spirit saying, this is it. This is you. This is your word. Grab a hold of it. Take it into your life. Begin to live out the life that John lived. Begin to live out these characteristics in your life. And you know that God's speaking to you tonight. Come on, just lift up your hand right now. Say, God, that's me. God, that's me. I, I, I receive that. I receive that. God, I receive that. I receive that. I receive this word. I receive this word. Come on, can we just lift up both of our hands toward God right now? Come on, let's just take a moment right now. Let's just surrender. Let's just surrender to his favor. Come on, it's his grace. It's his favor. Come on, let's just receive that favor. Let's receive that grace. We, we want that characteristic of God. Come on, let's surrender. Let's be faithful.